In an increasingly complex world, Greif Philanthropic Solutions is proud to sponsor Hat Radio and the one and only Avram Rosenzweig. No one is better than Avram at simplifying the art of communication, providing inspiration, and unifying people of all backgrounds. GPS is there to help you navigate the charity landscape. Avram is there to help you navigate life. Step inside my living room Share a little talk By roads walked and lessons learned Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been What you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height In the height Put it all in the height And welcome back to Hat Radio. This is episode 50, and my name is Avram Rosenzweig, and I'm delighted to be back with you. This is the final show of 2019. Congratulations. Muzzle tough, as they say. Uh, and it's been quite a year. It really has. I uh, Just the fact that, you know, I was able to do 50 episodes of Hat Radio, I think is a success. It's a pretty challenging industry. Especially if you start off knowing very little about what you're doing. <laughs> For those of you who are entrepreneurs and have dove into uh, a new pond, you know, not quite knowing where the bottom is, or in fact, what you're about to step on, uh, you'll understand what I'm saying. It's uh, just figuring out the social media component of this, you know, brushing up on my interviewing skills to make sure that they get better all the time. That in itself has been enormous. I, I do want to thank, uh, in that light, uh, Sean Howard, who is my podcast host, and he's excellent at what he does. Very patient with me. I'm not a very good student. I'm really not. I get anxious very quickly, and uh, I shut down uh, when things seem to get too complicated for me. So if you relate to that, you know, you'll understand what I'm talking to. But Sean is very, very patient with me, and I want to express my appreciation for that. Um, even last week, <laughs> I just didn't get a concept. I couldn't wrap my head around it. It's the ADHD in me, you know? And uh, and again, his response to me was, it's okay. Don't worry about it, you know? So I'm grateful for that. I'm also really grateful to Howard Pasternak, who does our um, editing of the show. Um, he's really extraordinarily good at what he does, and he's a pleasure to be with. He's also not only a, a soldier in the hat radio army, but he's also a general. And what I mean by that is we did an interview. Uh, it was with Rabbi Hecht, actually. And Rabbi Hecht is very specific about what he means when he says it. I was about to edit out a, a simple piece that uh, he expressed, thinking that, you know what? Maybe the listeners wouldn't hear it in the way Rabbi Hecht wanted them to. And Howard, knowing Rabbi Hecht very well, kept it in. Uh, and he told me that later. We weren't together for that specific edit. I just sent him the show. And I said, well, that's great, man, because, you know, Howard's a real bright guy and he has a really, really good handle on editing. And he also knows Rabbi Hecht well, as I said. So I want to thank Howard for that and the entire year of editing. I could not have done this without him. My dear friend David Nefesh in Detroit, Michigan, or South Park. Uh, who came up with the Hat Radio song. I just love it. And I've had some really, really, really good comments on it. So I want to thank you all for that. It's a good blues riff. I I'm a huge lover of blues. John Lee Hooker, B.B. King, um, Buddy Guy, uh, Derek Trucks. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. If you have any thoughts about music on the show as to perhaps when we should change that song, you know, or what we can include within the show. What was very cool during the years that I had Aaron um, Benchushan on the show, who is a cantor, a chazan, both in the Sephardic and Ashkenazi way. And some people told me that was the best show of the year. If you haven't heard that show, have a listen. I don't remember the number to it, but you'll find it on the Podbean library or hatradio.ca. 
Uh, by the way, we've tweaked our website, and I think it's looking better all the time. Uh, Linda Krar was on the show, and she's a singer-songwriter. She's a musician, very exciting woman. Interestingly, her daughter Miriam Borden was on the show a few weeks later, so mother-daughter was nice. Pat Rush, who was lead guitarist for Jeff Healy, as well as Johnny Winter. Uh, he was at the top of his game. And these rock stars, man, they always have great stories to tell. They really do. Like, you're sitting there and saying, oh, yeah, you know, I live with Johnny Winter uh, in his house for uh, the summer. You know, he used to walk around naked. I mean, this is the type of stuff you hear. So these icons that you grew up with, you know, I had pictures of Johnny Winter on my wall and his brother Edgar. My mother was aghast. She's, there was one with Edgar was uh, shirtless, and she thought it was a naked woman, and she ripped it off my wall, you know, and you're a kid. That pisses you off, right? But I forgive you, Mom. It was just her yard site, the memorial of her death. Four years she's been gone, and I miss her a lot, but I certainly forgive her for that, as well as throwing out all the crackers, uh, firecrackers that I collected, and the last edition of the Globe and Mail that I delivered as a 12-year-old. Again, I think there was a woman on the front who had been running naked in the streets of London. And I guess my mother, you know, thought that was inappropriate for a young Jewish kid, father of a rabbi in Revitson. So she threw that out, too. Forgive you, Mom. Forgive you. I really do. So it's been a great year. Um, I was really delighted with the friendships that have been cropping up between peoples of all backgrounds Jews, Muslims, Christians. Yeah, you're seeing a lot of anti-Semitism. There's no question about that. And certainly we have to wrap our head around that dynamic. But we have to remember, too, is there are great friendships that are being created everywhere, always. And this is significant. And you'll know that there were certain uh, violent attacks on mosques and synagogues here in Toronto. Uh, when I say violence, generally defacing uh, the edifice itself. And subsequent to that happening, the Jewish community came out and held hands, wrapped themselves around the mosque, and gave their support to the Muslim community. Well, the opposite occurred. We had swastikas scrawled over some of our synagogues, shuls, temples, and the Muslim community came out, and they did the same. In a warm, embracing way, they showed that we are all together in the fight against violence, against evil, against hatred, and even more so, we are becoming friends. And I think we need to concentrate on that. And yes, while terrible things are happening in the world, having to do with anti-Semitism here in Toronto, where I live, in Canada, in the United States, there were three anti-Semitic occurrences in New York City last week alone, in Europe, of course. I think the way to counter that is by developing our friendships. And by being warm to others, by understanding others. And that's why there were a few times throughout the year where I would do a short, sort of a small feature about, did you know that? And I would express something about the Jewish people that most individuals would not know about. How could you? Most of us don't know about people outside of ourselves. I often say to people, tell me about the citizens or the culture of the Ivory Coast. Tell me about Nigeria. Tell me about South Africa, Zimbabwe. Tell me what you know about Ecuador, El Salvador. Very little, probably next to nothing. So how would I as a Jew accept, uh, uh, how would I as a Jew think that people would know very much about my people, about my culture, about my religion? So I went out there and I said, listen, here, did you know this? You know, did, did you know that the Talmud is like a huge part of Jewish thinking and Jewish culture and the development and the sustainability of the Jewish people, the development of the mind, the intellect. And, and, and the response was excellent. Personally, I think we need to do more of that. I think we have to talk about ourselves openly in a way that's comfortable and safe, granted, but also in a way where sort of the onion the petals of the flowers, they can all open, they can all blossom, they can all bloom for others to see, for others to smell, for others to embrace. I want to know about my Muslim brothers and sisters, and I want to know more about my Christian family. I do, and I want to know about nations. 
I'm actually personally, I'm, I'm fascinated, you know, what goes on within other borders. I really am. I mean, Via Hafta, the organization that I started and worked with for 22 years, worked in places like Haiti, Guyana, Zimbabwe, Turkey, and our experiences were generally positive and were also educational. And I must say that at the end of the day, my theory was that if we go places and let people know who we are as Jews, well, that in itself might break down stereotypes. And I believe that happened. I do. Not everybody would agree with me. They'd say, wow, look at the anti-Semitism that's happening nowadays. Yeah, yeah, it's true. There's a lot of it. A lot of it was hidden. Uh, a lot of people kept their negative thoughts to themselves, and now they seem to be more comfortable expressing them. But we don't know what we accomplished by going out there and introducing ourselves to the other, to the stranger, if you will, and learning about that person, those people, their families, breaking bread with them. So my sense of 2019 was, yes, there's more anti-Semitism and there was more racism in the world than the previous year, but there was also more friendship expressed. And I would challenge you to figure out how to do more of that. Look, part of the problem, I think, in the world is that, number one, people are dopey, including myself. They really don't know what to do when a problem faces them in the world like racism, like anti-Semitism. And I think part of it, too, is sort of an intransigence, like uh, an inability or a want to step outside of one's safe zone and go out there and make this world a better place. Well, get outside of your safe zone, man. Seriously, as Jews, we learned for the last, since 1945, Holocaust education. If Holocaust education is not about making friends, is not about fixing the world, then, then what is it about, right? Make sure you don't waste you, you you won't have wasted your time by going to lectures and watching the Schindler's lists and reading books on why the Allies did not bomb the train tracks to Auschwitz. Christians do the same. Muslims do the same. You guys are having a really tough time. Get out there and introduce yourselves to me, to us, to my people, and we'll do the same. Okay. So to you, individual listening to this show. If you're thinking to yourself, you know, Avram's right, you might be thinking Avram's a dick, and that's fine. <laughs> I get that too. But if you're saying that Avram is right, then next thing to do is take a piece of paper and a pencil and write down five ways that you can make this world better. And how can you do it with individuals of another background? Now, you might be doing it, and if you are, way to go, man. Kol HaKavod, all the honor to you. Share that with us as to how you do it. Do you do it at work, where you sit down with your fellow employee who happens to be Zoroastrian, <laughs> you know, an atheist, right? And you schmooze with them, and you talk with them, and you get to know them. You understand where they're coming from. You really, really make an effort to understand, you know, like your spouse wants you to do with them or your kids, like a real effort, not those efforts where, oh, yeah, yeah, I kind of get that. You know, listen, listen closely. Um, I want to uh, also say that there are some really great podcasts out there. I'm going to give a shout out to one of them. It's called theillusionist.org. Uh, have a listen. It's a really cool show. It's a podcast about language by Helen Zaltzman. And uh, she teaches you about words and she challenges. The last show that she did of the year was uh, a quiz. And one of the questions in the quiz was, where does the word uh, cynic derive from? Does it derive from dog or shark? And believe it or not, bump, 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 counting to 10, it, it derives from the word dog. Ancient Greek, dog-like, okay? If you like words, of which I do very much, have a listen to her show. And, and once again, it's The Illusionist, and it's to be found at theillusionist.org. Uh, I want to thank, two our sponsors, Mark Reif, um, 
Mark Reif's a great guy, and you know, he likes what I do. He's always been very complimentary, and I appreciate that. You know those people you have in your life who watch your career or watch what you do in your life, family life, or oh, whatever, and they get it? Yeah, Mark Reif gets it, and, and he took a step forward, therefore, and he sponsored Hot Radio. He's really not getting any benefit from it. He's really not. We're just not at that place yet. I mean, I'm doing about 120, 150 downloads per show. Um, the one with Robert Karopkin, by the way, where he interviewed me, we were already up to 750. But uh, Sean and I are still figuring out how to increase our numbers. Uh, we think we have a handle on it. But just between you and me, I, I don't really have a handle on it. <laughs> I'm trying, man, and I'm going to stay with the game, and I think that's the secret. So thank you, Mark Reif. And Gary Samuel as well is sponsoring the show in memory of his mother, Catherine, and Leslie Samuel. Parents. Parents, eh? When you have them, it's everything. When you don't, you're an orphan. And, you know, Gary's lost his parents, and they were fine, sweet people, as he is. And what we've been doing over the last few weeks of his sponsorship is coming up with a concept that we shared with you. You'll remember last week we did one on helping uh, elderly home from their supermarket. And, and I thought that was great. I really did. And do that. Do that. Again, you know, you got to have the nuts for this stuff. I know it takes balls. But do it. When you're at Metro or when you're at No Frills or when you're at Trader Joe's or wherever you happen to be, the mush beer in Israel, take a look around. You know, be aware of your surroundings. I understand you might be busy. But if you're not that busy, really look hard and see. And you'll see that there are a lot of elderly people that, that are really trying hard to make their lives decent. Part of that, of course, is shopping for themselves, you know, so they can eat. But you can always tell, right? You can always tell at the supermarket, uh, almost, maybe this is in my head, but I can always see that person who's a recent widow or a, a recent widower. There's a certain sadness to them. Sometimes you'll see the men, they don't quite know what they're doing. You know, the elderly folk, maybe this is her first, second, third, fourth, fifth time shopping. Um, and I get that too, because it took me a while to figure shopping out, especially for food. So go over them and ask if you can be of help. When they're outside and they're lugging a bag or two, extend yourself. You know, say, could I, could I help you? You know, tell them your name so that they're not scared. I'm thinking lately, man, it must be tough to be old, older, a senior. Because how safe physically could you feel? You know, a lot of older folks have a hard time walking. And walking is a big deal when we're trying to secure ourselves because we can just walk away. Well, elderly people can't always do that. So be cognizant of that. Be aware of it. The other thing I want to share with you in 2019 as we head into 2020 is eulogize the living. Yeah, eulogize the living. You know how we always hear or we always read that a person passed away sometimes of natural causes, sometimes through terrorist attacks, through violence, terrible stuff sometimes. And we always hear about how great they were as individuals, you know, the most popular, how giving they were, how they lit up a room when they walked in, how sharing they were. Well, you got to think to yourself, like, man, why didn't I know these people when they were alive? You ever had that feeling? You, you go to a funeral and you, you, you hear the eulogy and, and that's what you think. You think, oh, God, what, what an interesting, fascinating deeply compelling human being. I would have liked to have known that people. So what I'm saying is eulogize people when they're alive. Really prop them up. Eulogize, you know, talk to them about themselves. Express to them those things you see within them that are beautiful, that are brilliant, that are compelling, that are loving. Tell them that. If you know somebody who really is very good at, let's say complimenting others well then compliment them if you know a person who is superlative at art at poetry maybe a phenomenal accountant say to them hey man how do you do that you just seem to be so good at what you do it's really impressive 
I've always wondered how it is that you sort of rise above, you know, the others in terms of your strengths and your creativity. Way to go. Way to go. If you see someone passing by you in the street and they're really well coiffed, Oh, they're really well put together. I see that a lot. It's really cool. People know how to dress, don't they? I, I don't. <laughs> so I'm quite cognizant of it. Say to them, hey, you look great. I, I love the sweater that you're wearing. That's a beautiful scarf. Man, you look good in that cape. You know, the drag about that is, is, is I do that with men and women. And often I think women think I'm coming on to them. So their thank you is somewhat muted. Not always, but sometimes. I think there's a way to do it, man, to a woman, though. You're dressed really nicely. I, I don't think there's any sexual innuendo in that. You, hey, you're dressed really nicely. You look sharp. You're well put together. Maybe that last one, not so much. Yeah, if you have any ideas, Hat Radio. Send, yeah, send me an email at avram at hatradio.ca. <laughs> Still working on that, but it's a really good thing to do. If you have a child, do not hold back on compliments. That stuff can stay with them for life and it can get them through life. You know, honey, you are so sensitive, man. You are so conscious of what's going on. Obviously, depending on the age, you are so loving, right? Um, you know how kids always come up with really interesting thoughts and ideas, my son said to me the other day, we were having a debate about the holidays and sugar. I told him it's the holidays, man. Have sugar. <laughs> when the holidays are over, stop having sugar because he wants to cut it out. So so I said, sugar, you know, it's okay. It's like the thing that makes you feel good, makes you feel happy. I cut out sugar myself, and I understand the problems with it, but he's a kid, and it's just a week or so. He said to me, Daddy, you don't understand. He says, I feel better not having sugar than having it i think yeah right on man is that talmudic or what and i really celebrated that comment so do that with your kids do it with your spouse do it with your friends do it with your brothers your sisters listen to what people are saying and then point out to them their gifts it goes a long way so david shore is my 50th interview david shore is from london ontario he is the writer and creator of the show House. He's also the writer and creator of The Good Doctor. I'm sure you know him or I'm sure you've seen his shows. Um, I did this show remotely the very first time, so I'm turning it over to Howard to work his magic. Hopefully the uh, quality of it is uh, listenable. Let me know either way. But listen really closely to what David has to say because he's a philosopher. He is. He's one of those guys who says it just would not be enough for me to entertain through my writing, through my shows. He goes, there has to be some meaning behind it. And I thought that's brilliant. I thought that's fantastic. I had the same challenge when I was doing Marty and Avram, the Food Guys radio. I experienced a lot of anxiety um, in the beginning of that show because I was always wondering, what the hell am I doing? Like, why am I on the air Sunday morning talking to people about Carpaccio? You know, who gives a crap and what does that do for me? And there came a point where I realized, you know, we were making people happy. We really were. We were bringing some happiness to people. Funny, uh, funnily, <laughs> rabbis used to tell me they would listen to our show on the way to funerals on Sunday morning. <laughs> and I thought, well, uh, we gave them a moment of happiness. I thought that was good. But David's a real philosopher, and each and every word that he writes in his scripts are important and to the extent that he doesn't want spontaneous uh, response to a script by his actors if they want to make changes they can come to him and tell him and more often than not he'll say fine but he says every word is important again very talmudic in nature um, and he talks about how save a child's heart which is a non-profit based out of israel uh, whereby doctors travel around the world to plug the holes in little kids' hearts who were born with uh, heart deformities. Um, his wife is the president of Save a Child's Heart, I believe, in the United States. And he talks a lot about that. And in fact, one of the shows that he developed was predicated 
on the work of Save a Child's Heart. So you can see that this man is really intense. He's really intent. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't just do this for entertainment, as I said. He does this because he wants to make this world a better place. He basically said that would not be enough. Um, finally, I want to wish each and every listener uh, a good year, a happy holiday. I want to thank you very much for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. And I also appreciate your feedback a lot. I understand that some people divide up the show. They'll listen to it in thirds. Uh, they'll listen to one piece one day, another piece the next day, and even maybe another piece a third day. Some people only listen to part of it, and I get that. I've actually been told, you know, the show's too long. And uh, I reject that entirely. <laughs> I actually think it's too short. <laughs> listen, I used to do three-minute interviews for 10 years on radio, and I was thirsting. I was hungry. I was starving to find out who people are. And now is my opportunity, right? So maybe I'll shave off a few minutes here or a few minutes there. But for now, I'm really into this hour and a half thing. Have a beautiful, beautiful holiday, safe one, a secure one, a wonderful one, a creative one. Go out there and be adventuresome. Learn about the world. Find out about yourself. Share it with us once again at avram at hatradio.ca. And uh, let us all hope and pray that 2020 is a rocking year for us, for me, <laughs> for you, for our community, your community, for our city, our province, our state, our country the entire world. You know, the old story is three astronauts went up into space, one of them being French, one of them being American, one of them being Russian. And as they get higher into space, the American says, oh, look, look down. You can see the borders of the United States of America. And the Russian says, ah, as they got higher, you can see Russia and the entire continent. And as they got even higher, the French astronaut said, ah, Look, no borders at all. And I think that's what the world ultimately is about. Borderless, borderless. And this is a borderless show. And therefore, we are all part of it. And we share our experiences. And it's our opportunity to get to know one another just as human beings. So thank you very much. Enjoy the David Shore interview. Have a beautiful holiday. Have a beautiful year. And you're listening to Hat Radio. It's the show that schmoozes. You like that? Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Thanks. God bless. Hello, and welcome back to Hat Radio. This is Avram Rosenzweig, and uh, this is episode 550, a very big number. And I'm very honored uh, to have with me, in light of that, um, my very dear friend, David Shore. <laughs> Do people always say that, David, my very dear friend? No, you're, you're my only dear friend. You're my only dear friend. Thank you. <laughs> On the planet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm deeply honored. Now, David is well known um, for being the boy who ate the crackers in the movie Meatballs. Would that be correct? <laughs> <laughs> that, that is where I stay. That was my, that was my big break. <laughs> right, because you went to the camp in Halliburton, right? Yeah. White Pine. Yep, yep. Yeah, I was there and uh, I was working there as a junior counselor and uh, my co-counselor and I just wandered down to where they were filming. And yeah. as I recall it, the director pointed at me, I guess he thought I was one of their extras, pointed yeah. at me and said, you come here. It's not like he discovered me, made me a star, but just they needed somebody in the background and had me stand beside a table and eat crackers while they filmed a scene. And uh, now, now, do you remember what, taste of Hollywood? Yeah, that was like your foray. Do you remember what you said, what you'd learned from that moment? I, it was my the first lesson I learned in uh, in Hollywood, don't eat the crackers. And I don't eat sounds, the crackers. sounds I meant it literally. It's probably true metaphorically. So yes, um, I think it has shades of that, doesn't it? Something yeah. mystical about that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So there's there actually is more to David Shore than just eating crackers in. Uh, Meatballs movie. Um, his wife is president of Save a Child's Heart. Uh, the American, she's co-president of the American uh, American branch of Save a Child's Heart. Yes, uh, she is. She she's doing wonderful, wonderful work on behalf of Save a Child's Heart. I don't know if your listeners know about it, but they should educate themselves. It's just a wonderful, wonderful organization based in Israel that um, literally saves children. Um, these doctors yeah. and, and all the staff, all the sports staff volunteer their time 
and they do life-saving surgery on children from places that would not have the opportunity to get that surgery um, from the Palestinian territories, uh, from other Middle Eastern countries, from Africa, from South America, from countries where there is just not the infrastructure and they would not get the surgery and they would die. Uh, they bring them to Israel, do the surgeries, save these children, send them home. They have saved the lives of 5,000 children. They're not just, this is not just a band-aid solution. These kids, these kids go back healthy and they would have just died and they do that. Um, and so your, your listeners should go to sash.org. Toronto's got a, Canada's got a great division of it. Give money when you're in Israel, visit the place. Um, you'll be inspired. Your life will, it'll, it'll change your life to some extent. And um, they don't just do the operation. They also train the doctors. I'm going on and on, but this, I can go on and on for a long time. They, um, they also train doctors, uh, which takes years and years to go back to their home countries so that, uh, as with many charities, the hope is that someday we will not need that, uh, that these people doing this work, uh, that, that this problem will not exist anymore. So they have trained the first pediatric cardiac surgeon in Ethiopia and the first pediatric cardiac surgeon in Tanzania. These yeah. are nations of over 60 million people that yeah. did not have a pediatric cardiac surgeon. And these uh, young people have come to Israel, been trained for several years, I think six years, along with the entire support staff. Uh, and then they go back to their home and hopefully change things. So wonderful things happening. You know, your colleague, uh, Richard Schiff, who's Dr. Glassman on, mm -hmm. uh, on The Good Doctor said, this is a beautiful quote that he said. He said, I could not be more in love and in awe of my wife. Do you remember him saying that? You were on a panel or something. Um, he does love his wife. He is in awe of his wife. It is very nice. Yes. Well, I was blown away by that statement. And I thought to myself, when I see pictures of your family posted, uh, and I've met you here with your son, there is an incredible love that I feel, uh, that you exude and the rest of your family exude for one another. And I honestly, I think it's so beautiful. It's palpable, you know, David, I, I married well. Um, so, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Were you surprised she chose you? <laughs> I continue to be. I continue to be. Yes. Right. It's like that. I yeah. feel like the, the, the standard in a good relationship is always reaching to make your spouse, your partner feel strongly or stronger about you. It's reaching upward, right? <laughs> it's right. constant pressure to make her not change her mind. Right. Right. Okay. So this and is I, what. Then, yes. I love my kids and I like my kids as well. They're, they're, they're wonderful. And, uh, <laughs> And I owe that to my wife as well, I suspect. Yeah, well, she must be taking care of the kids, right? I don't imagine you're home very often. Um, I, I try and be home as much as I can. But yes, the burden of that is very much fallen on her. Um, two of the kids are, are off in college. The other one's uh, got another year and a half with us. Um, and or done, the oldest is done with college. And so um, we're, we're looking forward to a different stage of our lives. Do you, oh, you'll be empty nesters. It, well, assuming they don't come home, our oldest is living at home right now, so which, which is wonderful. I want you to know, I wrote an article in the Canadian Jewish News many years ago about empty nesters, and there's a 50-50 split in terms of their response to the house being quiet. There are those who say, oh, man, this is freaking beautiful. <laughs> I absolutely love it. And there are those who say, I just miss the noise. I miss the hubbub, right? I, well, we'll see how I feel. So. Yeah, we'll see. Get back to us on that, would you please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Now, some people know you as the creator and the writer of the show House. Um, well, now people have been listening, basically, and going, why is he talking to this guy? Is it because he ate those crackers and meatballs, I think? But yeah, I, I did House, yes. So that's actually the mission statement of this uh, podcast, find people who ate crackers <laughs> on movies. <laughs> so David is the executive producer and writer or was uh, on, on House as well as The Good Doctor. So do you see yourself as a writer predominantly? Yeah, yeah. Um, in TV, writers get fancier and fancier titles until they become executive producers and 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 showrunners which is not an on-air title but is a title used in the industry uh it's kind of the boss and it's almost always perhaps always a writer um yeah. and 
So although you're kind of in charge of everything, I came up as a writer. I am a writer. I Yes, I see myself as a writer. To me, that is the only thing that really matters. If you've got a good script, you will wind up with a good episode. Um, people can screw it up here and there, but you can't take a mediocre script and turn it into something great, I don't think. Um, so that's where, yeah, even, even when I'm dealing with, with casting issues or editing, it's all about how do we, it's all a question of, and I guess that's what this is. That's the way, at least that's why I look at it is there's the writing and everything else is about implementing the writing, which you're still feeling like a writer, even when you're doing all those other things. Well, you, you know, you're again, some of your colleagues on the show, one particularly said that you are, uh, as he believes it, the greatest writer on television today. Okay. That, when you, okay. Are we going to continue on that basis? Uh, that's <laughs> no, like when you hear that, seriously, when you hear that, because you have risen quite high in the industry, what what does that do to your ego or your, your soul? Um, it doesn't help my soul, probably. Uh, I don't think it – I – when I hear that from somebody I respect, it is flattering. It's a lovely compliment. I don't yeah. take it seriously beyond that. I think it's, I, I think it's, it's. If one of my actors says that about me, I am grateful that somebody I respect thinks I'm doing a good job, um, and that's what I take from it, which is important and, and big and. In order for, in my opinion, in order for a show to work, you have to have people pulling in the same direction. You do hear stories about writers and actors not getting along and in conflict. Um, I've been very lucky um, or done something right. I don't know what that was, but um, the two shows that I'm that, that you alluded to, House and the Good Doctor, um, my two shows were both situations where the star of the show saw the show in the same way I did yeah. was, was striving for the same things I was. And it's just been a tremendous collaboration where neither of us is trying to undo what the other is doing uh, and not be out of any vindictiveness, but because of just, there are many ways to see a show, especially when it's forming. And yeah. so you can be pulling in two very different directions and both of those directions may, may be admirable, may even be good, but you're going to tear it apart if you're pulling in different directions. And um, I've been very lucky that in both cases, um, both Hugh, Laurie and Freddie Imore um, have been a pleasure, very much a pleasure for me to work with and have seen the show the same way I do. And I think those comments reflect that more than any objective measure of, of my abilities. Um, I'm, I'm, it's, um, I, you know, if you getting good reviews, it's, um, if you pay attention to the good reviews, you have to pay attention to the bad reviews. But, um, so I, I don't want to do that because that'll, that'll, that is not good for the soul. Do, do they hurt your feelings? Pardon me? Do the bad reviews hurt your feelings? Um, again, I try not to pay, pay, pay attention to any of them. I've seen yeah. people torn apart by that. I've seen people devastated by that. Um, and nowadays there are reviews everywhere. It's not just, you know, newspaper, you know, everybody has a voice, you know, yeah. you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram. I don't, I don't have much of a presence there, but you see stuff and people feel the freedom to be nasty because of the anonymity. Um, it's usually the ones that contain a grain of truth or you perceive as containing a grain of truth that, that right. hurt you. Oh, damn, damn. They saw, they saw. Exactly. They saw me, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing that strikes me about the shows, the themes that you've chosen for your shows is that they have a certain gravitas to them. They have a certain meaning to them. And, and to the extent that um, you've won some awards, you've been nominated for like a ton. And one of the awards that you won is called the Humanitas Prize. And that was uh, for the pilot of The Good Doctor. It's a fascinating prize. It's an award for film and television writing intended to promote human dignity, meeting, and freedom. And it began in 1974 with Father Elwood Kaiser, um, but is generally not seen as specifically directed towards religious cinema. So I'm going to make a leap here. That must have been a special award for you, no? Uh, yeah, and um, that, yes. 
Yes, very much so. That is a um, that is a very prestigious award within the writing community and completely yeah. unknown outside the writing community. Um, it uh, that particular award was very good to me throughout the run of House as well. We we won one, I think, but were nominated several times. And yeah, I look, I I think that kind of award is really important because television. The, the entertainment industry has to do what it's called. It has to entertain. Yes. That is a priority. There's, you know, that is what you're paid to do is to entertain an audience and to gain an audience. But it's such a huge opportunity. Um, you are speaking to literally millions of people. They are listening to you. Um, it just seems pointless to do that and just entertain. Um, I don't believe in preaching. Uh, I think that's foolish. I think that's not entertaining. But I do like to explore philosophical questions. I do like yes. to explore the nature of right and wrong. I do strive to make my audience ask the same questions I'm asking. And probably que and hopefully questions they're asking too. And to explore different sides of those issues. Because, um, you know... Be nice to each other. That's too simple. But there are deeper, more difficult questions and more difficult issues that we deal with throughout life and where the answer isn't necessarily obvious and that there are things pulling us in two different directions, two legitimate things pulling us in two different directions. Yes. And, and what's the right way to go? And is there a right way? To, and they're usually, you know, and so I like dealing with philosophical questions. I like asking why we do the things we do and um house was certainly all about that house was was all about trying to find objective truth and we're all trapped within our subjective perceptions and and so to get back to my it's where i was going to begin with um just enter there's no point in doing this business for me if i'm just gonna do something that's that's if it's just entertaining it's pointless to me it's yes. wasting it's a waste of time well it's very interesting a statement a comment that you made about house the doctor who said i will write nasty you know through his voice nasty as nasty as can be but not if there's a personal agenda in other words there has to be meaning behind the nasty uh, the way the reason there's a lot of exploration of that internally yeah we um when I would see when people would send me freelance scripts for house or something like that, they thought they had house's voice and they just didn't because they would just have him be nasty for the sake of nasty. Um, there was always a reason behind it. Um, we used to, we had a saying within the writer's room, which is that the, the punishment doesn't have to fit the crime, but there has to be a crime. There has to be a crime. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he wasn't doing it to enrich himself. He wasn't doing it to get women he wasn't doing it for a self-serving purpose beyond the very nature of finding an answer and that would be satisfying to him but he was looking for truth and yeah. uh yeah that's what that character was it's also very interesting you said i may have once gone over the line and that was in <laughs> reference to house driving his car through cuddy's living room and your yeah. reason for that your reason for that was that he was a rational man and this was an irrational action it was a dangerous action it wasn't just words there so um yeah um he he usually his nastiness came out with words and um that was a potentially dangerous action although i defend it to some extent on the basis that he did check through the window to nobody was no nobody was in the room but you know it's uh it's a bit of a rationalization by me so did you have to consider what the uh, potential outcome of, of such a moment in your show might be? In other words, millions of people are watching this. Someone might drive their car through their girlfriend's living room. You are asking yourself that in general terms. I never thought somebody would. I mean, it was it was not portrayed as a heroic act. It was not portrayed as a rational act. It was not portrayed even as a good act. Yeah. And there were ramifications. He went to jail for that, actually, yeah. the next season a year later. I mean, he he ran away. You know, he um, there were ramifications. We always have to have ramifications. Um, but, yeah, you're you are constantly when you're doing this, you're 
you're not just going what's you have to be willing to take chances, but you also have to be aware of the way people are perceiving it. And I went out of my way to say that House is not a role model. I mean, I think uh, in one episode we had Foreman, we had Foreman say if everybody in this hospital acted like him, um, the morgue would be full. Um, he, I, I want people to think like him. I, I want to think like him, but House was kind of the guy I would probably be if I was as smart as him, maybe. Yeah. He, he was truly a genius, and he was striving for the right answers, and and he got the right answers eventually. And so he was a hero for that reason. And, and the, the, you know, the thing about that character, as nasty as he was, we would have killed him as a character by showing him being nice. We could right. go over the line towards right. nastiness easier than we could go over the line towards niceness. The, the thing about that character and the thing that Hugh did so well was the audience imposed upon him this view that he he had a soul. And I think that is true. I'm not saying it wasn't there, but he was damaged and was in pain, but they thought he was doing the things he did because he's secretly nice. And Wilson believed that. I don't think House believed it. And so we always have to give him internally deniability. When he would do a scene and you would be watching him do it, knowing what was coming, were, were you still or often sort of mesmerized by how he actualized your words and your team's words? Would you have tears in your eyes? Would you go over and hug him? Say that was just incredible, metaphorically or otherwise? On occasion, yeah. On occasion, literally. Um, he was remarkable. He um, he is remarkable, I'm sure. But that situation, as I said earlier, it was a wonderful, wonderful partnership. And yeah. um, he he has expressed his gratitude uh, um, toward me. But I, I I continue to express my gratitude to him, and he probably does likewise. It's it just was a a, a tremendous pairing between two people who. Uh, you know, we have a lot in common. We have a lot that's different. But yeah, I would go on the set, and you would you would see what he would do with it, and he would he would elevate the material. He would make it something better. Um, and he could do anything. He could do humor. He could do pathos. He, he could he could make you cry. He could make you laugh. And he could do both in the same scene. It was amazing. You you would write stuff, and you go, "Did we push it too far? Did we push it too far?" <laughs> <laughs> and and then you go no he was going to pull this off uh, and usually I, it's interesting because usually when you say you're writing to an actor it means you're writing away from the things that you think they're weak at yeah. um and you know and people would ask me that's probably too that's probably too negative but people would ask me you know once the character developed it, it and once you saw what you could do to affect your writing, I think it did. But in an interesting way, it it affected my writing in the way that it just freed me up. There was I would go, no, he we can push this to that point and he will pull it off. It, whatever we wrote, he would make great. And it, that doesn't mean you could just throw stuff down the page, but obviously. But. You were not afraid to explore areas or to explore humor. He would every now, every now and again, he'd come to me and say, I think there's too many jokes here. But, yes. uh, but uh, which is the opposite of most actors. Most actors want more jokes. He, he would go, I, I just don't think it's right. Because he knew. He knew dramatics. He could write. He could direct. And he, could, uh, and he was a, a great actor and a smart man. Funny story. One time, um, we wrote one joke. And I don't remember what the joke was in one script. But we were so pleased with ourselves in the writer's room because it was just we started exploring this joke because I said, you can read this seven different ways and it's funny every different way. Uh, so in eight years, we had one perfect joke. Uh, and I went to Hugh <laughs> and I said, I, I don't think you can, you know, he was and he's brilliant with comedy and but he was obsessed about it. He obsessed about everything. I said, I don't think you need to worry about this because I don't think this joke can be done wrong. Yeah. And he said, is that a challenge? So that's just the way he viewed the world. Yeah, I like the I like the way these guys think. They like the challenges, right? Yeah. Well, he he just was he was convinced that uh, he'd find. He was um, 
he was his own worst critic. He would, right. um, you know, um, if somebody told him how brilliant he was, that he just walked away thinking, well, they obviously don't know what brilliance is. Um, but, but at the risk of incurring his wrath for saying it, he was brilliant. Yeah, I once met Yo-Yo Ma, you know, the, the world-renowned celloist, and he told me that the greatest time for him to play music is when he's half awake and half asleep, when he's exhausted, right? Interesting. Now, you look a little tired right now, are you? <laughs> you look a little tired now, but I've reached an age where that is my look. Yeah, my too. My too. I'll be 60 on April 27th. You turned on July 3rd, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, muzzle tough. Um, I'm curious, when you sit down at your desk, it's very fascinating too. I saw how your desk is set up where your computer is actually vertical, right? Yeah. You switch it around so you can see everything you're writing. But if you're if you're exhausted, yeah, thank you. <laughs> David just showed me his computer. Uh can you write when you're half asleep? Um No, you're better when you're fresh. You're better I you know, I don't I don't play the cello. I, I'm better when I'm fresh. Uh it's better when you're alert. There's a lot there's a lot to juggle in a script. Um when you're you're writing a scene you need to make each line work, but each line is has to work within the context of that scene. It has to service that scene, and each scene has to service the larger story. Um, and there's a lot there's a lot to juggle. Um, I I like my actors to deliver the lines as written. If they have suggested changes, I don't love ad libs. Um, if they have suggested changes. Um, I want to hear about them in advance. I will say yes to almost all of them, but I want to be able to think about it because even small changes can have big impacts within a scene and a, and, and a domino effect. Um, I want to make sure the exact right thing is communicated at the right moment. And that's what I strive for. So, you know, Salinger sent his book back to his editor because they changed one word. Yeah, I'm Salinger. That's what I'm saying. So, uh, no, I'm <laughs> no, but I, 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 I have on occasion an actor is like asked to, and as I said, most of the time I'll say yes, not a problem, but they'll, uh, they'll say a instead of the, and I'll yeah. go, no, I want a the there. So, so you turned 60, by the way, did you have a to do? Did they make you a party? Uh, we had some people over, we had a nice time. Wouldn't, uh, at our, um, our place in Muskoka. Oh, what'd you eat? And I, you got a, and I did get a giant card from the cast and crew. So that was lovely. They, yeah, about a hundred people saying happy birthday to me on the set. What was that nice for you? I like Dr. House. I don't believe in birthdays. I know they exist and it's not a running away from age. I just, um, it's the rational thing. It's, uh, why am I celebrating the fact that the earth went around the sun one more time since I was born? So it seems arbitrary to me. Uh, listen, uh, to me, the way I see it is that at that very moment, uh, uh, David Shore came into this world just like an Avram Rosenzweig did. Never will there be another David Shore. Never there was a David Shore. And you're I, believe I believe in celebrating that every day. The the rotation of okay. the fact that <laughs> I try. No, okay, fair enough. I just see I see birthdays as extraordinarily important because it was the moment that you were created. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> so, David, birthday. about happy birthday to you. So, another thing about turning 60 is uh, it was really interesting. Leading up to your 60, one of the shows that you wrote um, basically came through your, your, your wife's experience with Save a Child's Heart. Yeah. Um, the, the, the team at the hospital decided that they were going to save a child's life from Africa. That's really meaningful, and that's really bringing your life into the story. Yeah. Oh, look, um, the Save a Child's Heart, um, yeah, I've, I, I've been there. I sat, you know, I stood in on surgery. I stood there, and it was inspiring. It was amazing. And I, I referenced that in pitching The Good Doctor, that I don't want this to be about the grotesqueness of surgery. I want this to be about the, the inspiration of surgery, that – young people who are still just trying to figure out who they are and what they want out of life 
are literally reaching into another human being and saving that human being's life. I, it, yeah. It's 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 unbelievable. It uh, I'm a very cynical person, but you can't be as you're in that moment. Um, so I was personally affected, but they did a documentary. Uh, somebody did a documentary about Save a Child's Heart trip to Africa, um, and they followed this one sick child who they didn't believe they could operate on. And there was a dispute between the cardiologist and the surgeon about whether they can save this child. And the consensus basically was they can't, but the cardiologist kept pushing it, kept pushing it. And the surgeon eventually decided to do it and watch this documentary. And uh, some people on our staff watched this documentary and they said, one of them said, this should be an episode. Yeah, this basic story should be an episode. And so inspired by that, that storyline, we, um, we concocted to do that and, and publicize a little bit the connection to save a child's heart, hopefully, hoping to get attention to that. But yeah, it's, um, it's, you know, it's a, the world gets smaller every day. Um, it's, um, it's a good thing for humanity to not just be worried about your own backyard, but to be worried about, and we not be worried about, you know, we should all be worried about our own backyard. We should all be worried about our communities, but we should all be worried about the entire world. Um, it, just because it feels good, but also because it is one world and one person can affect it. One, one person doing one thing in one country can change everybody's lives, but just, it's just good. It's just good and get a little bit away from tribalism, a little bit away from me first, mine first. And so I'm proud to be part of an organization that's, that's saving people halfway around the world. You, you come from London, Ontario. Your father, Marvin, who just passed away two months ago, was an accountant. And your mom, Cecile, she should live a long life, um, had a big impact on you. Did they introduce you to community, to helping others? No, it's something I created on my own. Uh, yes, they, they, um, <laughs> my parents, my parents, uh, my, we're, we're great parents. Um, and, um, raised me. My mother was involved with Adassa. Um, yeah, they, they, they tried to instill good values in us. And, um, and it's very much, um, yeah, they, my dad, it was never about success. It was never about how successful somebody was. It was never about how smart they were, how good looking they were, how successful they were, what they've accomplished. It was about who are they as a person. Yeah. It was the only thing that mattered. How are you doing with your dad's passing? Yeah, look, I very, very lucky. I was very lucky to have him as a dad. He was a great man. He died peacefully at 90 years old. Um, it's at the same time, it's, it's never the right time. It's always too soon. Yeah. But I have very little to complain about. Do you have a particular way of memorializing him? Um, when he passed, my mother took the ring off his finger cause we were, he was in hospice and, uh, we were packing up his stuff and she just didn't know what to do with his ring. And she just gave it to me. I put it on my finger and I haven't taken it off. That's and, very uh, special. Yeah. I'll tell you an interesting thing before we, uh, we wrap up here. I have a buddy, Lou Berkowitz, and his father was in Auschwitz. He passed away. In fact, his brother right now is doing a musical here in Toronto um, about his father's sojourn after liberation to finding his home. And Lou wanted to memorialize his father, and he also tried on his father's ring and didn't work for him. So, David, what he decided to do was tattoo his father's numbers on his arm. I've heard of people doing that. I, I'm not a fan of tattoos, but that's if that is beautiful. That is um, to to own that and to remember that and to have that reminder to the next generation as well, to yourself and to your yeah. children is it's wonderful. Uh, so listen, I want to thank you very much personally because you were very helpful with Via Hafta. Uh, you were the MC of our gala and you were also uh, a donor to the organization. And that meant a lot to us because you were one of those who was a partner 
and also because you have a very big name and it helps when you bring on guys like you. So thank you so much for that. I'm very, very grateful. Well, thank you for all you do, which is, the, the, you know, it always feels silly because uh, you guys do so much more. And, and then you, you guys thank me. It should be the other way around. And, and I'm it, it's genuinely what you do is fantastic. I had a thank great you. time um, hosting. It was a lot of fun. And um, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to contribute. I'm grateful that I'm in a position where I can. Thank you. You were a good MC, by the way. You were articulate. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Not always the best. <laughs> Anyways, David Shore, thank you so much for being our guest on Hat Radio. We wish you well and your family. Thank you. And, you too. And you should have continued success. You've been listening to Hat Radio. It's the show that schmoozes, and God bless. In an increasingly complex world, Greif Philanthropic Solutions is proud to sponsor Hat Radio and the one and only Avram Rosenzweig. No one is better than Avram at simplifying the art of communication, providing inspiration, and unifying people of all backgrounds. GPS is there to help you navigate the charity landscape. Avram is there to help you navigate life. You've been listening to Hat Radio with Avram Rosenzweig, sponsored by Goodness and Positivity. Hat Radio, the show that schmoozes. Step inside my living room, share a little talk. By roads walked and lessons learned, keeping the flame of faith burning. I want to know where you've been, what you found out. Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height In the 